Uh, Pastor Johnson has been in a series of sermons related to a reset in the church, and he has been leading us through the seven letters to the churches in Asia Minor. And so today we close out that series and um, he, he preached at the first two services and I thought that it would be fitting for us to conclude the series here at the main campus as well. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter three, the book of Revelation, the third chapter. And we'll begin reading at verse number 14. Revelation chapter 3. I'm reading from the New Revived Standard Version. But as long as you have a Bible, you should be okay. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse number 14. When you have it, could you please say amen? It says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Somebody say Laodicea. Right, the words... Of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works, but you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I don't need nothing. You do not realize that you are ratchet pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me refined by fire so that you may be rich and buy some white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and buy from me solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I want to stop right there. Uh, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, for you say in verse 17, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. I want to speak from this thought, the remedy for a sick church. The remedy for a sick church. Over the past several weeks, as pastor has been guiding us through the book of Revelation, one of the things that I have learned and discovered as he has been preaching and teaching from this passage of scripture is that the church is not insulated from the struggles of a sick world. Just because you are saved and you are connected and involved in the church just because you have been in church for a long time, just because your mom brought you to church or you know all the scriptures, it does not exclude you from the pain that we experience in this life. In fact, we get the book of Revelation from a context of suffering. It was in the context, it was in the season of suffering that John the Revelator begins to see these visions from God. The book of Revelation is, is a book full of visions, and it is a book of, uh, it is a book that is complex. The storyline could be all over the place. It is filled with such characters like the four horsemen and the beasts coming out of the water and dragons and serpents and 
pregnant women giving birth in the heavens and all of these different uh, visions and the imagery that is used in this book, for some, that's the reason why you have failed to even open up the book because you're scared. But tell your neighbor, don't be scared. Chapter 1 says you're blessed if you just read the book. But by the end of the book, one of the things that John the Revelator begins to reveal to us is that all of this points to a coming attraction. All of this points to what John calls a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And it is this coming attraction that is on its way according to John, but but before we are able to experience this, there's a season of suffering that we have to go through. In fact, John is seeing Jesus on the throne. God is seeing, uh, John is seeing God on the throne, Jesus reigning. He is seeing worship in heaven all the while he's in bondage, all the while he's in exile, all the while he is in isolation. And the reason why you and I don't have to fear when we read through the book of all the characters and creatures that emerge from this storyline is by the end of the book, Jesus is on the throne. He is reigning. He has the victory. And the children of God are in the presence of God, experiencing victory with God in glory. In other words, regardless of what you and I run up against, whether reading Revelation or living life on earth, we don't have to be afraid because God has given us victory. God has given us glory. God has given us freedom. But it is in the season of suffering that John sees the victory. And it wasn't just John going through suffering, but the church is going through suffering as well. It was the early Christians that were in that were in oppression to the Roman Empire. And to be a Christian in the Roman Empire was like being black in America. The harassment, the oppression, the social injustice, the false imprisonment, the arrests that don't make sense, the, those who have lost their lives to the military, Roman police, they're in prison, they're in bondage, their businesses were being boycotted, they were, they were being crucified upside down, boiled in hot water, thrown to the lions and the bears. They are in a season of suffering. But John is trying to make it clear that although all you see is suffering, there are some things that have yet to be seen. God is trying to show you something. God is trying to get you to a place of victory and freedom. And oftentimes it comes in a season of suffering. Chapter 1, John makes it clear that I am your partner in suffering and in the kingdom of God. And we are going through the suffering that Christ has called us to. Oftentimes, it is Christ that calls us to the suffering. Oftentimes, it is your faith in God. It is your, it is your desire to grow in your faith. It is your desire to grow in your devotional life and in the scriptures that doesn't exclude you from suffering, but it elects you to suffer. And John says that Jesus doesn't call us to a comfort zone, but Jesus calls us to the discomfort zone. And it is in this discomfort zone where God begins to show us some things. It is in the discomfort zone where God begins to reveal some things into our life. It is in the discomfort zone. 
Oh, I know why you ain't saying amen. You thought that Christ came from heaven to earth, died on the cross, buried in the grave, rose up again three days later so that you could be comfortable. I know, I know your scriptures say, Ezekiel said that uh, the Spirit of the Lord picked me up and dropped me in the middle of the comfort zone. That's not what he said. Ezekiel said that the Spirit picked me up and dropped me in the middle of a valley full of dead, dry bones. But it was in the season of this discomfort where the prophet recognized that we serve a God that can bring life in a dead situation. And sometimes we can't experience the move of God until God leads us to the discomfort zone. And it's in a season of suffering where God began to show John what was going to happen. It was in the season of suffering where God begins to reveal some things into our life. It is in the season of suffering where God will begin to bring us the vision of which he wants us to see. And sometimes God has to break us in order to develop us. I had to ask Siri. I wanted Siri to help me with this sermon that I was bringing today. So I asked Siri, yo, Siri, what are the things that are better broken? And Siri gave me a list. It sent me to a website of 25 things that are better broken. On that list was uh, bad habits. That's better broken. On that list was toxic relationships. That, that's better broken. On that list was an egg that if you want to make a scrambled egg or a fried egg or whatever egg you want to make, you got to break the egg in order to make the egg. And then I thought about it theologically. I thought about our faith and I'm reminded of the scriptures that when Jesus was feeding over 5,000 people in that desert and he, and he took that little boy's lunch, two fish, five pieces of bread, the Bible says that he blessed the bread, then he broke the bread. And it wasn't until he broke the bread that the folk were able to get their needs met. I thought about Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of humanity. As we take communion here shortly, we are reminded of the bread, the body that was broken on Calvary's hill. And if it had not been for the broken body of Jesus, we wouldn't even have salvation. And God says that every now and again, I got to take you through a season of suffering, a season of brokenness, so that I can show you something. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It is visions that John was having in the context of suffering. He's in exile. He's by himself. He's in bondage. But it's in this context of suffering that he's able to see what God is up to. I, I, I was able to take my, my, young, my young sons to our, our cousin Jackson. He was having a birthday party, and, and uh, during the birthday party, in the middle of the party, they brought out a pinata. Y'all know what a pinata is, right? They, they brought out that pinata, and so they were blindfolding everybody. They, they, they found a stick somewhere, and everybody was taking turns, taking swings at the pinata. And y'all should have saw the confusion on J3's face. He didn't know what in the world was going on. And I had to pull him off to the side. I said, son, what's wrong? He said, what are they doing? I said, son, this is a pinata. He's like, why are they hitting at the pinata? I said, son, there's some sweets and some treats that are on the inside of the pinata. And all of us want to experience the sweets and the treats on the inside. 
but we can't get to the inside of it until we swing at it, until we hit at it, until we take some shots at it. And it wasn't until we begin to hit the pinata and break the pinata that we were able to experience all the sweets and the treats that were on the inside. And I have a sneaky suspicion that somebody pulled up to the church today and you're in the midst of a pinata season. It seems as if life is swinging on you. It seems as if folk are taking shots at you. It seems as if your enemies are taking turns swinging at you. But I'm a living witness and I know I got some people in the room that can testify that God has placed some sweets and some treats on the inside of us and the only way that the world and the church can experience it is if God will begin to take swings on you. Is if life will begin to hit on you. Is there anybody that survived the hitting of this life and can testify that it is in the season of brokenness that you begin to grow as a preacher. You begin to grow as a person. You begin to grow as a leader because oftentimes it is in the season of suffering that God will begin to take us from faith to faith and from glory to glory. And this is what the book of Revelation is all about. It is these visions that John is having. He is recording the visions even as he's in suffering. And oftentimes, many of us can't even see the revelation from God because we're too scared of the isolation from God. Well, maybe, uh, maybe folk are walking in and out of your life is because God is trying to show you something. And you can't even hear it. You can't even see it. Because every time you get in the car, you got to have a radio on. You got to have some podcast playing. You got to have the music going. Every time you go to sleep, you got to binge watch some show to even go to sleep. You can't even be in the apartment by yourself. You got to invite company over because God is trying to say, I'm trying to put you in the season of isolation so that I can begin to give you some revelation from God. And here's what I learned as pastor has been walking us through these seven churches. And that is when you are in your season of suffering, God has a way of intervening in your season of suffering. And when God shows up and intervenes on your behalf, God brings you a word to get you through your season of suffering. I love it. Pastor has walked us through the seven churches and, and each church that he, that he, he dealt with, it shows us a, a, a new expression of Christ. Christ gives us uh, different expressions of himself even when the church was going through. All of the churches were going through bondage and oppression to the Roman Empire. And each church that Christ showed up and intervened for, he reminded them of who he was. To the church in Ephesus, he's the one that holds the stars in his right hand. To the church in Smyrna, he's the first and the last. To the church in Pergamum, he's the two-edged sword. To the church in Thyatira, he has the eyes like flames of fire. To Sardis, he's the one that holds the sevenfold spirit. To the church in Philadelphia, he has the key of David. To the church in Laodicea, he is the amen. Each church that Christ showed up for, he let them know of another expression of himself. That's why you and I can't be judgmental of all these churches because it may just be another expression of Christ. I was reminded going off to school, I went to Payne College in Augusta, Georgia, and when I first got there, I was tripping out because I couldn't find an Eastern Star Church in Augusta, Georgia. I was like, where is the church where Jesus is exalted and the word is explained? 
And it dawned on me there ain't no Eastern Star Church in Augusta. But it doesn't mean that God ain't moving, that Christ has not expressed himself in the churches in Augusta, Georgia. And some of us are so judgmental with pastors and musicians and churches, and we think that if God don't move in that church the way God moves in my church, that means that God ain't moving. No, Christ says that I express myself differently in the different churches, and it helps us to understand that regardless of the suffering that you find yourself in, Christ has a way of becoming whatever you need him to be and the suffering that you find yourself in. So one day I need the one who holds the stars in his right hand to let me know that God is in control. Another day I need some, I need a God to show up to let me know he has the two-edged sword that he is fighting and defending for me. Another time I need the eyes like flames of fire to lead me in the midst of my dark situation. Other times I need the key of David to open doors and close some doors. Is there anybody grateful? that the God we serve has a way of showing up to give you what you need in the suffering that you face. Well, that was my summary for the six churches. Uh, today, we're on church number seven, uh, Laodicea. And, and notice, notice how Christ identifies himself to this particular church. Um, he says that I am the amen. I am the true witness and if you spend any time in a black church, then you've heard amen before. I love when folks say amen when I'm up preaching. It just helps me, just give me a little strength. Thank y'all, thank y'all, thank you so much. Amen, amen. We say, we say amen, it means it is so. Um, um, in the Greek, amen means true. It means the truth. Notice, notice, what, notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, I don't need your amens because I am the amen. <laughs> Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the true witness. And, and I love it because he, he, he wants Laodicea to know that he is the truth because now he's about to tell the truth about the church. He's about to tell the truth about this church in Laodicea. And the truth is, this church ain't all that this church thought it was. This was an unhealthy church. This was a sick church. And this church, this church, Laodicea, um, it, it, it's in the city of Laodicea. And, and a few miles south of Laodicea was, was Hierapolis. A few miles on the other side north was the city of Colas. And, and, and Laodicea was in the midst of this. And this is why when God showed, when Christ begins to write to this church and to let this church know what was going on, he was letting them in on the fact that, that Christ is looking for the church to be separate from the culture that it's in. That, I mean, we get that even in the Old Testament. When God called the children, matter of fact, when God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it told, it told him to follow God. He was looking for them. To, he was separating them from the culture that they were in. When he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land that was already occupied by different cultures, he brought them into that land and he wanted them to be separate from the culture even though they were living in the culture. 
We fast forward to the New Testament, the Revelation, the seven churches, and every letter that Jesus writes, he was letting them in on the fact that they had failed in the midst of being separated from the culture. Whether in their theology, whether in their behavior, whether in their religious practices, they were mimicking what the culture was doing. They, they, they had adopted to the culture. They, they had compromised with the culture. They, they had compromised in the fact that, that, that there were some churches that began to believe false ideologies and false theologies and false doctrines because they compromised with the church. There were other churches that began to become tolerant with sexual sins and other sinful things in the midst of that culture. There, there were other churches that had uh, false religious practices. Christ calls them Satan's synagogue. Why? Because the culture had crept into the church. But this was not the design for the church. The church was not to be a mirror of the culture or to mimic the culture or to compromise the culture. The church was supposed to be separate from the culture, to be the light in the culture, to be the salt of the earth. But Christ did not see that when he looked at his church. Christ saw the fact that the church begin to mimic and to mirror and to compromise with the culture. That's what he told the church in Laodicea. He said, he said, he told the church in Laodicea, he said, I can't even get with y'all. He said, I can't get with y'all because y'all are neither hot nor cold. He said, I can't get with y'all because he calls them lukewarm Christians. Ain't that crazy? A lukewarm Christian. He says, because, you know, in, in the south, in, in the south of Laodicea, there was Heropolis, and there they had cold springs. And folk would travel all over the, all, from all over the known world to show up to Heropolis and, 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 and to sit in the cold spring with the water that was freezing cold because there were some, there were some healing benefits to cold water. A few, few miles north of Laodicea, there was Colossus. They had the hot springs and folk would travel all over the known world to come and, and to sit within the hot springs. But, 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 then, but then Jesus says, y'all not like Heropolis, y'all not look like Colossus, y'all are Laodicea. And, and, and the fact that, that, that you as a church are lukewarm like the culture that you are finding yourself in. That you become lukewarm like your environment. You become lukewarm like the surrounding culture. And, and, and this is interesting because Laodicea was the epicenter of the known world. That they, they were known for their education and the finances. They were known for their fashion. They were known for the money that they were making. They were known for all the healing properties and the medical center that was there in Laodicea. So they had it all going on except spiritually. And God had to call them out on all the fact that they were lacking in their spirituality. They had everything, everything else working for them except their faith and their spirituality. And Jesus was so upset. He said that y'all are lukewarm, church. I love how pastor put it in the first two services. He said, I, I, he said, I know people that like hot coffee. I know people that like cold coffee. But I don't know nobody that like lukewarm coffee. He said, I know, he said, I know people that like hot tea. I know people that like cold tea. But I don't know nobody that like lukewarm tea. Because there is no nutritional value to a lukewarm substance. There's no taste value to a lukewarm substance. And Jesus is using an illustration. He says, this is a church in the midst of a thriving culture, but they're lukewarm. 
They have no nutritional value. They have no taste. They have no passion. They have no energy. You can't pull up to the church and feel refreshed and encouraged like cold springs, nor do they have passion and energy like hot springs. They ain't do they are they are neutral. They are going through the motions. That he, he says, because he, he says, I know your works. Evidently, they were doing works, but the works that they were doing was not rooted in anything that was spiritual. They were lukewarm. And Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I, I, I look how the, uh, how the Hebrew puts it. it. It keeps it all the way real. He says, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. In other words, a lukewarm church makes Jesus sick. And notice what Jesus says. He says, you're lukewarm. He says, you feel like you got everything together. And notice what he said. He said, y'all talk about how rich you are. You talk about how wealthy you are. You, you, you talk about the fact that you've accumulated all this material value and this material wealth, and you claim you don't need nothing because you climbed the corporate ladder of success. You are a made man, a made woman, but realistically, to tell you the truth, you are nothing. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're naked. You're blind. He said, I know your culture is surrounding you. Y'all known for fashion, and y'all known for the money you're making, and you're known for the medical institutions. You're known for all of these cultural things. But spiritually, you're poor. Spiritually, you can't see. Spiritually, you're naked. And that's why Christ had to open up the letter with to let them know that I am the amen. I don't need y'all amen because I know that I ain't going to get no amen out of this type of sermon. So Christ says, I'm going to tell you the truth about yourself. When you look at yourself, you think that you're rich. But when I look at you, I see that you're poor. When, when you look at yourself, you see all the nice garments that you have. But when I look at you, I see the shame of your nakedness. When you look at you, you see the healing properties that can help you see. But when when I look at you, I can tell that you are blind. This is a sick church. But, but, but Jesus gives us a remedy for the sick church. I love the fact that Jesus doesn't give up on me when I'm acting pitiful and ratchet. When I'm walking like I'm blind and don't see the vision that God has given me. But, but every now and again, Jesus shows up and gives us the remedy that we need. Because some of us... Some of us have been so messed up for so long, we think that God has forgotten about us. We think that God has given up on us. But the good news about our faith is that God does not give up on God's people. God loves us so much that God will show up in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your addiction, in the midst of your diagnosis to give you what you need to conquer the purpose that he has for your life. So real quick, what, what, what's the remedy? It, it, I mean, it, it's really simple. It's in the text. Notice what he says. He says, uh, therefore, verse 16, no, verse 18, therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and also white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Christ is trying to offer them a kingdom perspective in the midst of their culture that they're in. Because without the kingdom perspective, they think all I need is money. They think all I need is the fancy clothes. They, 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 they think all I need are my health benefits to heal me when I'm sick. 
But Christ had to remind them that, that there is, that, the, that Christ had to remind them of the kingdom perspective. The perspective from the kingdom is different from that of the culture. See, Jesus on, on the Mount, on, on his Sermon of the Mount, uh, he says, Bless are those who are poor in spirit. He says, Bless are those who are poor in spirit. Not only were they, well, not only were they poor in, in the spirit, but y'all, they were physically poor. They ain't had no money. They were in poverty. They were in oppression. But Christ pulled up to let them know that you're blessed in the kingdom even when you are poor in the culture. I, I, I love it because Christ is trying to help us to understand that there's a difference between being rich and enriched. Yo, pastor taught this in the first two sermons. I'm just, I'm just uh, copying him. I'm, play, I'm, I'm uh, plagiarizing his sermon from earlier. He says... He says that there's a difference between being rich and enriched. Paul testifies, he says, Christ became poor so that we can become rich. But when Christ became poor so that we can become rich, he didn't mean for us to be millionaires and to have big houses and fancy cars and creature comforts. When Christ became poor so that we can become rich, what Paul meant was he wanted us to be enriched with the spiritual treasures that can only be provided by God. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying Christ came from heaven to earth. He became poor so that we can become rich in order for us to experience the spiritual treasures that can be offered by God. So some of us, we got money, but we ain't got no peace. We got clothes, but we ain't got no joy. We got a smartphone, but making dumb conversations. So Christ says, I'm going to play, I'm going to show up in order to enrich you on the spiritual matters of this world. He says, buy some gold from me. He's speaking of faith. He says that, that, that will be purified, that will be purified by refining fire. Can y'all hear me? Do I need another microphone? Y'all good? Okay. He says, buy gold, he says, and you can get white garments from me so that you can be, you can be covered. And, and because during that time, during that time to be, to be naked was, was, a, was, was a social humiliation. That, that, that uh, um, in, in the book of Hosea, in the book of Hosea, God says to the children of Israel, I'm going to strip you naked because of your sin and your idolatry. He's speaking of a humiliation. He's speaking of their sin, of their shame. That when Adam and Eve found, when they found out uh, that, 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 that their fruit was good to the eye, they ate it, they consumed it, they sinned. That's when they found out of the nakedness that they were experiencing and the shame that they were experiencing. But it was in the garden where God killed an animal to cover them. And God says, when you're in the midst of a sinful culture, it doesn't mean that you will be perfect. Every now and again, we're going to slip in this evil, sick culture. But when you come to me and to give you what you need in your covering, I'll make sure that I can take your guilt and your shame away. It's a kingdom perspective that he tries to get them to adopt. Here he says that I will not just give you riches, spiritual treasures. I won't just give you a covering, but I will also give you vision. He said, I'm going to give you an ointment for your eyes. Because you think you got 20-20 vision, but you, 
even though you can see in the physical, you lack the vision in the spiritual. You can see, but you ain't got no vision. So God says, I'm going to give you some, some ointment. I will give you Saul. I will give you something that will, that will help you with your kingdom perspective, even in the midst of your suffering. Because some of us lack the kingdom perspective. That's why we think that just because we go through, we think that it's over. We think that just because we, we, we sin and fallen short, we made a big mistake that God, has, that, that God will no longer walk us into our future. But God says, I'm going to give you a kingdom perspective to help you see life through so that you can become all that God has designed you to be. Okay, y'all didn't get it. Um, I told uh, Cooper Rowe last week that... Um, that my mom sent us, my brothers and I, she sent us this picture of these new glasses. We thought they were new glasses. She said, y'all like my glasses? We said, yeah, mom, those are dope. We, we, we love those glasses. She said, these ain't even new glasses. <laughs> I said, what you mean they ain't new glasses? She said that when your grandfather, her father, when he passed away, he, he left her, one of the things he left her was these glasses that he will always wear. So she took the glasses, pulled up to the store, had her prescription switched out for his prescription. He took, she took his prescription out, put her prescription in, and now she is viewing her life through the framework of her father. And that's what God is seeking to show us, that in the midst of your suffering, you need to switch out your, your framework and put the framework of your father on so that even when you're going through suffering, you can check out through the framework. God is working everything out for the good. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Is there anybody that's adopting the framework of God? So even when I'm going through suffering, I'll recognize that God is taking me from faith to faith and from glory to glory. It's the kingdom perspective that Christ is trying to give us in the midst of the suffering. I, 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 I'm done now. That's it. I'm done. But there's two other things that I want to share, share with you. One thing that I want to share with you, Pastor R did a great job this morning of explaining it to us. He talked about the doors of the church are open. And notice what, notice what Christ says. Notice what Christ says in verse 20. Christ says, listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. There's a couple things with that verse. Number one, Christ is standing at the door knocking. He says, if you hear my voice, open up the door and I will come in. I love what Pastor said this morning about how, it, how easy it is for us to experience salvation. He says it, it don't take much because we think we got to do all these different things and speak in tongues and quote the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one setting. No, we ain't got to do all that. Christ has made it simple. He says if, you not, if I'm knocking at the door, you answer, I'm going to come in. Notice how simple it is. He says if, if I'm knocking, open, I'm going to walk in. But notice that Christ, he's not talking to the culture when he's writing this letter. He's not talking. This is not a letter that was written for the world. This was a letter that was written to the church. So why is Christ talking about he's knocking on the heart of the church? Evidently, the church has closed off some things that Christ is no longer able to have access to. So Christ is showing up 
in the midst of a compromising church to let the church know, I know y'all forgot about me, but I ain't forgot about you, and I'm still knocking at the door of your heart, and if you have faith, you can open it up, and when you open up the door of your heart and allow Christ to have access to every area of your life, Christ says we can sit down and eat together. We can have relationship. We can be friends now. We can fellowship because Christ says that I'm knocking on the door of your heart. And maybe there's somebody in here today, you, you, you've yet to join the church. You've yet to give your life to Christ. You, you've yet to join the, the body of Christ and the move of God. But, but, but Christ makes it simple today that he is knocking on the door of your heart. And if you, can, if you listen, you can hear him knocking. Because some of us have neglected the voice of God. Some of us have neglected what God is seeking to do. Some of us have neglected access to God. And God says, I'm still here knocking on the door. And when you answer, I'm going to eat with you. And then notice what he says in 21. He says, to those who conquer, I will give a place with me on my throne. Just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. I love that. He says, he says to those who conquer, I will give a place with me on my throne. Just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He says, because I conquered, because Jesus conquered, now we have the power to conquer. Well, what did Jesus conquer? Well, Jesus conquered death and the grave. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, but he didn't stay there because he conquered. And because he conquered, now you and I can conquer. Paul says that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in us. And when we believe and tap in by faith that we are more than conquerors, Christ says that I can share access to my throne in heaven. That because I am sitting with God in heaven, now you can sit with me in heavenly places all because you opened up the door of your heart, allowed me to come in, you, I covered you with my grace, and now you can walk in being a conqueror and victory in Christ. That's why I love the book of Revelation, because all throughout the book of Revelation, we get imagery of what it means to be victory, to experience victory, to be more than a conqueror. I mean, there's death in the book of Revelation. There's violence in the book of Revelation. There's chaos and confusion. There's sickness and plagues and disease all throughout the book. But if you read in the midst of it, in, first, in John chapter 1, John says, I heard something that sounded like a trumpet. Somewhere else he said, I looked to the heavens and I saw, and I saw the creatures and the people worshiping God. He said somewhere else, he said that when you experience glory, that there is no more pain. All tears are wiped away from their eyes. That even in a context of defeat, he is still experiencing victory. He's letting the church know that I know that you're going through suffering. I know that you're going through pain. I know you're dealing with an evil, corrupt culture. But when you put your faith in God, just because you are in a defeated situation doesn't mean you have to be defeated. But we have victory in Jesus Christ. Is there anybody that can be grateful of the victory that you have in Jesus Christ? I'm done now. Uh, oh, J.R. Smith, basketball player, NBA, he, he, he's no longer in the league now, but, but J.R. Smith, he, uh, he was drafted in the league in 2004, and uh, he was one of those players that didn't finish college. One of those players that took the, the, the opportunity to go to the league, make money, 
And, uh, and now that he uh, retired from the league, bro went back to school. He went to North Carolina. He's going to North Carolina A&T. He's on the golf team. He's doing this thing. Last thing I heard, he had a 4.0 GPA, and, uh, and he's doing this thing at North Carolina A&T. Well, before he retired, matter of fact, um, he won. He was with the, 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 the Los Angeles Lakers in the bubble in 2020 where they won the championship. Well, well, before that, the last we heard of J.R. Smith, he grabbed a rebound in game one of the NBA Finals against the Golden State Warriors and went the wrong way. Y'all remember that? And he cost his team the victory. Matter of fact, he might have cost his team the championship because he grabbed the ball and went the wrong way. After that, we didn't hear from J.R. Smith until the league went on hiatus in the pandemic in 2020. And, and, and when they were entering into the bubble, LeBron James wanted to sign J.R. Smith. Because there were players on the Lakers that didn't want to show up to the bubble, so they were looking for free agents, and they signed J.R. Smith. And when J.R. Smith got signed to the Los Angeles Lakers in 2020 in the bubble, bro didn't get that much playing time. He, he didn't get that many points. He didn't get that many assists. He didn't get no rebounds. He had a bunch of turnovers. He was doing all the wrong things. But at the end of, of, of 2020, when the Lakers beat, the Miami Heat, and the finals, the first one to celebrate was J.R. Smith. He was shirtless on the sideline. And after they won, he was up jumping up and down, hugging LeBron James because he realized that it wasn't me that got the victory. It was the one I was connected to that got the victory. And it was LeBron James, King James, that helped wield the Lakers so that J.R. Smith can experience victory. There was a season in his life where he was going the wrong way, but when he connected to the king, he was able to experience victory. And I don't know who I'm speaking to, but some of us know what it's like to go the wrong way, to turn our back on God, to sin, and to live life that is full of sin. But how many of you know that when you connect with King Jesus, you already got the victory? How many of you know that there's power in the name of Jesus? There's victory in the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. And God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Somebody ought to give God praise that even in my suffering, I still got the victory. Let us all stand in this place.